Well, there are things that each of us want or things that we even know that we should do or things that we know that we should want and yet find really hard to do. There's things that we want to do, there's things we know we should do that we've heard about and yet we find it really difficult to do. I just want to give you a couple examples of those. Let's start with exercise. The benefits of exercise, I'm not going to go through all of these, but it can strengthen your bones and muscles. Some of you have weak bones, been meaning to tell you that. Uh, 50% lower risk of type 2 diabetes, improves sleep, prevents cognitive decline, that exercise can do all of those things for you. And we know that, yes, I want to do that and I should do that, but it's, it's, hard, it's hard to do. Or another one that's been talked about a lot in maybe the last handful of years is uh, sugar and the dangers of sugar. Some of you have maybe done paleo or some of you have done um, the Whole30 and different diets like that where you try to do a, a sugar cleanse. So much research on sugar that it's basically uh, cocaine and it gives you clear skin if you get rid of sugar. It reduces your cancer risk, gives you more energy, gives you a better mood. All of those things if you get rid of sugar. And you may know, yes, I want to do that and I should do that. And it's really hard to do. Or here's another one, reading. Reading is good for you. On average, readers have better physical health, better empathy, better mental health. Reading for as little as six minutes, I don't think Facebook or Instagram count, but reading for as little as six minutes can reduce your stress by 60%, gives you a slower heartbeat, eases muscle tension. It, reading reduces stress uh, all these things, okay? So it's hard to do, though. Some of you have had goals of, I want to read this year, or maybe I want to read last year, but I didn't get to that, so I want to read this year. I want to, I want to read three books. And, okay, I just want to read one book or just a chapter of a book, and I just want to read a little bit. I know I should do that. I want to do that, but it's so hard. So why do I put, these, why do I put all these up here? First is to make you feel guilty, because this is church, and that's what we're supposed to do here. Uh, but also, just because I, I want to help us even think about that same mindset with following Jesus. Because I think that in our life, there's areas where we say, yes, I, I want to follow Jesus. I know I should follow Jesus. I know that there's places, specific places in my life where I want to. I know I need to. I know I should. But it's really hard. There's a lot that pulls us away from that. There's a lot that pulls us away from physical exercise and a lot that pulls us away from reading and a lot that pulls us away from sugar and, I mean, or pulls us towards sugar. There's a lot that pulls us away from all of those things. We know that we should. We know we want to, but it's hard. And we live in a culture that's filled with sugar. We live in a culture that's filled with media that makes it hard to read. We live in a, we, we live in a culture that makes those things hard. We have our own internal desires that makes those things hard. I, I just want a donut, and so I don't want to give up sugar. I know I should, but I really want a donut more. There's things that we have internally. There's the pressures around us that make those kinds of things difficult. And the same is true with following Jesus. Same is true with our life with Jesus. There's, there's desires, there's wants, there's knowing we should, but so many things that pull us away. And there's a whole spectrum of that. So I, I don't know where you are today. If you're, if you're not a Christian, and I know some of you, that's true for you. You might just be kind of exploring faith, exploring Jesus, exploring Christianity. And, and there's some desire in you to say, okay, I'm interested in God. I'm interested in faith. I, I kind of want to do that. And yet, even right now, you feel some of that pull that makes it difficult. It might be the social costs if you were to say, I'm going I'm to start following Jesus, I'm going I'm to be a Christian, I'm going to start going to church, I'm going to have my faith be the center. You, you feel maybe some of the social cost of that. What are people going to think? What might people think I'm extreme or a bigot or all these kind of different things? Unintelligent. You might feel the social cost. You might, you might feel some of the cost of even just decisions and choices that you know it might lead you to have to make and you feel like I'm interested in faith, but there's a strong pull 
So maybe even for those of you that are exploring Christianity at the very beginning stages, you have a desire. This is interesting to you. You're, you're here, but there's some cost that you might begin to feel. Or maybe not even just those of you that are exploring faith, but for those of you that are Christians. For those of you that are Christians, we want, we want to have life with Jesus. And we want it to affect all the different things in our life. We, we look at certain things in our relationships and we say, man, I've I talk to people all the time that are dating or are uh, engaged. And they say, we want to have Jesus in the center of our relationship. So what does that look like? And, and what does that mean? We want that, but there might be some difficulty of what that actually means. There might be some difficulty of the, the costs of that. Maybe even in your friendships or in your values that you're determining, what are we going to be about and how are we going to live? There's things where we say, I want to follow Jesus, but it's difficult. I want to follow Jesus, but it might mean that I have to make this choice. It might mean that I have to resist this certain thing. It might mean that I have to change this aspect of my life. And listen, there is genuine desire that I believe that if you are a Christian or even exploring, there's genuine desire that we have, genuine desire that we are interested in following Jesus. But there's a lot of pools. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that make it difficult. That could be temptations inside of us. It could be the culture around us. It could be the social cost, as I mentioned, that we fear. And so what happens is this. Just like with physical exercise, just like with sugar, just like with reading, what happens is we default back to what we know. When things get difficult, even in the things that we desire, we revert back often to what's easy, often to what we already have gotten into a habit or already are accustomed to. So here's what I want you to know today. There is great benefit in following Jesus. There is great benefit in giving your life over to Jesus and saying, I'm going to follow you wherever you take me. There's great benefit. Jesus can transform every area of your life. Your relationships can be different. Your marriage can be different. Your friendships can be different. You can have a deeper meaning. You can have a deeper purpose. You can have a strong kind of um, foundation to live life on when suffering hits you. There's great benefit, but there's a cost. There's a cost, and there are pools that make that difficult. It's not easy. And Jesus is going to be really honest about that today. Really, the last handful of weeks, once we've been kind of settled the question, once we've settled the question in Luke about who Jesus is, as Jesus begins to invite people to follow him, he really turns up the heat on what it's going to mean to be a disciple or be someone that learns and receives from him. And so today, what I want us to explore is as you consider the great benefits and life change that Jesus offers, as you consider that thing that we want to do, we know we should do, we need to explore what gets in the way of that, the problem that we often face. And the posture that we need to have if we are going to follow Jesus and really the power that, that helps us to follow him. And those were three Ps if you were counting my pastor points. That's two more also, so that's five now. So let's read this short little passage and then we will explore together what it really takes to follow Jesus even though there's something we want to do and yet so many things that pull us away. Luke 9, 57 through 62 says this. As they were traveling on the road, that's Jesus and his disciples, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and spread the good news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit 
for the kingdom of God. Let's start with this. When we consider following Jesus, what is the problem in following Jesus? Or or what is it that can keep us from following Jesus? If we were to say, what's the problem in exercise, the problem in reading, or the problem in sugar, there might be all sorts of things that kind of compete with that. But when we think about following Jesus, what is the problem? What keeps us? And there's a lot of things that we could say, but this text gives us some interesting notes that I think are relevant for us to consider. And and here's what I want you to see in this passage. These people that are that Jesus is asking to follow him or these people that are saying, I'll follow you, they're not, they're not atheists. They're not people against Jesus. They're not people against the faith. They are interested. They're interested. They're not apathetic. They're not ambivalent. There's no convincing that's needed. Look, look at these statements. I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you, Lord. These are statements of people that are very interested, that are very passionate. These are statements of people that are very into Jesus. They're vocal. They're committed. They have good intentions. This may be us. Like when I'm talking about the problem in following Jesus, don't out yourself from this from the fact that there's difficulty, from the fact that there's problems. If you have ever felt like those people and say, I'll follow you, Jesus, I'll follow you, Lord. If you've ever felt like that, and if you feel like that today, there's something in here for for us. Their good intentions, their passion, their vocal commitment is not enough. It's not enough to experience life with him and all that he offers, all the benefits. Reading has benefits and physical exercises. It's, it's not enough to just say, yes, I will do it. That isn't enough. See, we can think in our lives, we can think that we are great. We can think, in, in, as far as it relates to our faith, we can think that we're great. We can think that we are committed We can think that we have these strong desires to follow Jesus. We we can think all of that, but we don't really know until a moment comes when it's tested. We don't really know until a moment comes when the rubber meets the road, as they say. We don't really know until a moment comes and a call is then given to us and we have to decide. Will I or won't I? We don't really know until a call comes and it reveals where we are. One second, they were great. I will follow you, Lord. One second, they were, I will go wherever you say. One second, it was that. And then the very next, it was revealed where their hearts actually were. Let me ask you for yourself. When's the last time Maybe through a sermon, maybe through reading the Bible, maybe through a Christian friend that spoke to you, maybe, maybe through other, a book or something else, maybe just through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When's the last time that the call of Jesus came into your life to obey, to come with him, to forgive that person, to confess that sin that you've been hiding, to reconcile with that person that had hurt you? to change an area of your life that you have been stuck in sin with, to hand over a relationship to him, to make that difficult choice with your time, with your money. When is the last time that the call of Jesus came into your life? We can say whatever we want. We can say, I will follow you, Lord. I will go wherever you say. But then when the moment comes, It reveals, it exposes where we actually are. See, the problem in following Jesus with them wasn't their commitment, it wasn't their their vocal passion, it wasn't any of that. The problem in following Jesus with them and oftentimes with us is this. First, let me go bury my father. First, let me go do this. This is the problem. Not denial of Jesus. 
that gets too many of us off the hook too easy. Not, I don't, I'm not interested in you. I don't care about you. Not denial of Jesus, but rather a divided heart. I am interested, but first, it's conditions that we put upon Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go, but first, first, let me do this. I'll do whatever you say, but first, let me do this. Conditions that we put upon Jesus. There is a desire that you and I have to follow Jesus. If you're a Christian or if you're just kind of interested or exploring, there's a desire that we have. There's a desire that you have to have Jesus in your marriage. There's a desire that you have to to be repentant of sin. There's a desire that you have to be bold in your faith. There's a desire that you have to follow Jesus. But we have other desires that are actually bigger. We have other desires that crowd that out. We have things that we say, I will follow you, I will go, I will do what you say, but first, which means this is first in my heart, actually. It means this is what's most important to me, actually. It means if you can meet this condition, then I will fulfill whatever other conditions that you put upon me. We have desires, but we have greater desires that rule our hearts. And listen, here's the problem with this. A lot of times they're good things. A lot of times they're good things. Let me go bury my father. That's not a wicked desire. None of you have probably ever, if you've ever been faced with Uh, the burial of a friend or a family member have ever thought, this is really bad. I'm tempted to go to a funeral right now and I need to resist. I need to call my accountability partner. I'm tempted to go to a funeral. You've never thought that. It's not a bad desire. But in this instant, Jesus is showing and he's revealing and he's calling out, this is a bigger desire than you actually have to follow me. It's usually good things. It's usually not This is one of the keys to understanding the Christian life and and the difficulty in following Jesus. A lot of times, it's not going to be the bad things that pull you away. To say, "Let let me go home and first say goodbye to people. That's not bad. Unless you're an introvert, maybe you don't want to do that, but... Problem is often that the things that are our greater desires are logical, they make sense, they're normal, they're socially acceptable, they may even have some kind of biblical basis. There's a story in the Old Testament where someone says to Elisha, which was one of the prophets of God, can I go home first and say goodbye? And Elisha says, yes, you may. So some scholars even think this is referencing that story, and maybe that person would have even expected, I was just reading about Elisha, and this was okay, and You might even have some kind of basis for thinking that it's fine. The problem in following Jesus is often a competition of desires. We have a desire to follow him. We want to follow him. We declare that we'll follow him. But we have other desires that are bigger and more controlling. Listen, I want you to just ask yourself some of these questions. It's hard hard. Because our situations are going to be very different. And I want you to just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart on where this might be true in your life. Where are you saying to God, but first? Where are you saying, yes, 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 of course I want to follow, but first? That can be with family, like in this incident. It can be with your time, it can be with your money, it can be with people, it can be with relationships, it can be with all sorts of things. Where are you saying, but first? That's what each of them said. Where are you, what good things are keeping me from following Jesus? We don't often think about that, but what good things are actually keeping you from following Jesus? 
Where am I divided in my desire? Yes, yes, I want to follow. I want to do this. I want to obey. I want to change. But I still really want this. Where are you divided in your desire? And then finally, where am I bargaining with God? You get a little bit of that in that, but first let me do this. Okay, yes, but where, where are you in some sense trying to make a deal with God? Okay, God, once I do this, then I will do this. God, if you give me this, then I will be able to do this. God, if you let me this one time do this, then where are you bargaining with God? God, I know that this isn't exactly what you say here, but doesn't it make sense that if I do this, it will allow me to be able to do this? Where are you bargaining with God? There's things that we want. We want to follow Jesus. We know we should follow Jesus in the big sense, but also in the particulars of our life. But often what pulls us often what moves our heart away is not our desire to follow him, but a desire that we have that is bigger. And really, the question that we just need to end with on this section is this. Are you willing? This is really what Jesus is offering to those guys. Are you willing to completely surrender to Jesus? Whatever he asks, whenever he asks it, whoever that affects, are you willing to say, command me? No buts, no firsts. Are you willing to do that? That's the problem in following Jesus. The, the posture, what posture do we need to follow him? And, and some of it is already implied of just looking at the opposite, but let's Let's spell it out. What, what does it look like to, to follow him? What, it, what is the posture that our hearts need coming to him? Listen, I, I want to be honest with you because sometimes I could preach a sermon on marriage or I could preach a sermon on communication or I could preach a sermon on relationships and, and it's going to feel like, yeah, yeah, that's good and man, that's okay, that'll help and that makes things better. But, but this text today is really, a, it's just a challenging text. There's not a lot of feel good, this is amazing, don't you? I mean, it's a challenging text. It's difficult. It is Jesus showing the cost of following him. These statements even in the heart that is needed can even sound harsh, can even sound very blunt and in your face. Imagine coming to Jesus and saying, first I need to bury my father and him saying, I just need to say goodbye to the people at my house, not fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, these can sound harsh. If we listen to this text and it doesn't feel kind of impacting, hard, if it doesn't feel even harsh, we're probably not reading it right. I've wrestled with this text this week and trying to think in my own life, where are these things at work in me and where, where is my heart need to be exposed and revealed. And it's something that is not easy. If we can read this passage and just say, oh yeah, got it. Then we're not really feeling the weight of what it's intended to bring into our life. What's the posture needed to follow Jesus? The first is sacrifice. Look at this. Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. No place to lay his head. And Jesus is saying, I, I want you to follow me, but, but listen, I've got no place to lay my head. I've got no place. The birds have homes. The foxes have homes. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Really, that's just speaking of home as a great summary of a lot of the things that we desire and want. We want comfort in life, right? We want comfort. We want security. We want to know everything's going to be okay. 
whether that's financially or from a home standpoint, we want security, we want the comfort of home, the security of home, and even relationally. Home is a place where we are accepted. Jesus is saying all of that can kind of be summed up in the feeling of home that Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There's sacrifices to following Jesus in our comfort, in our security, and even relationally. Jesus was constantly moving from place to place to place. He felt relational sacrifice. He was rejected and felt relational sacrifice. He did not have the security of a place to lay his head. He did not have the comfort. He did not have the control even of knowing this is where I am, everything's safe, everything's good, I know where I'm gonna sleep tonight. He didn't have that. What is needed in following Jesus, the first posture that we need is sacrifice. And I think what's important to think about is this when it comes to sacrifice. Sometimes someone might ask the question and say, are you willing to do that? But I don't like that question. I don't like that question because, again, I think it easily gets us off the hook to just say, are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? I think a better question is to look at our life and say, is my life already defined by a sacrificial posture? Am I right now making sacrifices in my comfort, in my security, and in my acceptance when it comes to following Jesus? Does this sacrificial life define me? Jesus says, come follow me, but remember, it's a sacrifice. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The posture that we need from the very beginning with Jesus can't be, I've got this condition and this thing and this thing. It's got to be, listen, there is no following Jesus without sacrifice. If you are trying to follow Jesus and yet at the same time maintain all the same things that you want, that's not following Jesus. That's the first posture, sacrifice. Second posture is urgency. Jesus said to the man that said, can I go home first and bury my father? Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go. There's an immediacy to it. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go. Some people say that, um, and there's different scholars that have kind of different takes on this. Some people think that his father was dead right then. Most people say that that, that wouldn't have happened because if that had happened, he would have already buried his father, but that the Jewish burial timeline could take up to a year. And so this man is really asking for a delay of a year some people are saying that he doesn't know when his dad's going to die. He just knows he's aging. And so he is saying, hey, I'll come when it's, when it's, when my, after my father dies and then we bury him. Either way, the point is just that Jesus says no. Whether it was that day he just wanted to go home and bury him or if it was going to be a year-long burial process or if it was just an indefinite timeline of aging, Jesus says no. You go. Let the dead bury their own dead. You go. There's a posture of urgency that Jesus is calling us to. We want to follow Jesus, but oftentimes we want to do it later. We want to follow Jesus, but oftentimes we want to do it when it fits into the timeline that we have created. We want to follow Jesus, but oftentimes we want to do it when it lines up with the schedule that we've already created. Jesus is saying, the posture needed to follow me is a sense of deep urgency. This is important because if you don't understand the posture of urgency, you know what it means? It's easy to check off in our mind that we are doing it. Okay, Jesus, you want me to obey you? Yep, I will do it. And because we are delaying, we believe that we're actually doing it because in our mind, we have flicked the switch. Yes, I agree. 
we haven't flicked the switch of I won't do it or even I'm wrestling and I'm not sure. We haven't checked that box. We haven't in our minds checked the undecided box. We haven't checked the no box. We've actually in our minds checked the yes box. Without a sense of urgency, it's easy to believe in our hearts. Yep, I will do that. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm not saying, will you? I'm saying, go. I'm saying, right now. I want to give financially generous. I want, I want to be a generous person. I want to give sacrificially. And as soon as this debt is paid off, as soon as I buy a house, as soon as I get the promotion, as soon as I want to, I want to confess my sin. I want to let my spouse know about what's going on. And I will. As soon as we can take that vacation together, I don't want to ruin that. As soon as we, I've got a date planned a few months from now and we're, we're able to have more time together. She's going through a lot of hard stuff or he's going through a lot of hard stuff at work right now as soon as that stuff calms down. I, I don't speak these things just as hypothetical examples. These are all conversations that I have with folks. We often check the box, yes, I'm following Jesus. I want to serve in the church. But first, and Jesus gives us a sense of urgency that says, go, today, now. And listen, even the best things can't take precedent. Even the best things, to bury your father, to honor father and mother was one of the commands in the Old Testament. To say goodbye to the people at your house. Those are all good things. Those would be even, we might even say, those are loving your neighbor things. Even the best things can't take precedent over the calling of Jesus. So let me ask you, and let God speak to your heart. Where are you saying Later. Where are you saying, yes, 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 I agree, yes, yes. Just not this very second. Where are you saying that? Have your priorities been radically realigned? Or are you waiting, delaying? Are you obeying now? That's the second posture needed. And the third is focus. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this imagery of putting your hand to the plow really is saying that the posture that we need is focus. This seems like a normal request to say, can I go back home and say goodbye to people? That seems like a normal request, but... Jesus is diagnosing, he is diagnosing in this person's heart, there was obviously a focus problem that beneath the request to go home and say goodbye, Jesus is seeing there's something else at work. There's a looking back posture that this person has. And he says that following me, there's a posture needed of focus. The idea of the plow would be this. And I know many of us, are probably not plowers. Many of us are probably not farmers at all. Maybe you have like some basil or something growing in your kitchen windowsill, but that, that's probably the extent. But if you think about a plow, you have to look forward, hold the little stick thing, whatever, obviously, you know, it's 2021 Denver, hold the stick thing with the, the four-legged creature thing and, and walk forward. You've got to see where you're going. As soon as you start to look back, as soon as you start to turn to the left or to the right, you're going to start going crooked. Kind of like driving, right? If you're driving 
and you start looking one direction or another direction, you might start veering off that way. And then your spouse or someone's going to say, hey, what are you doing, right? So if you're plowing, you cannot look back. You cannot look to the left. You cannot look to the right. That, what Jesus is calling for is a posture of focus to look straight ahead. What Jesus is calling for is not to look back at our old life, not to look back at things that we could have had, not to look back in places where we even kind of reminisce and say, oh, if I had that, or remember when it was like this, or wasn't it so much easier at that point? And a lot of times when we look back, we often romanticize what was back there. We, this, the children of Israel did this when they left Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And then they start talking about, oh, but we had onions. Oh, we had leeks. Like, what? You were a slave, dude. Who cares about your onion? But we do that all the time. We, we make these choices. We seek to follow Jesus. And then we look back at another time in our life and everything was awesome about it. Oh, when I was in that relationship, it was so good. And when I was in this city, oh, everybody was friends. And like, that's really? So if it was so great, why did you leave? If it was so healthy, why did you, why did you change? If it went so well for you why, did you, why did you know in the moment that you needed to get out of it? Jesus says we need a, a focus that in following him, our posture has to have a focus because it's easy to lose heart. It's easy to kind of sort of be in, but looking over our shoulder, sort of following, but uh, it's easy to do that. And Jesus wants to ask us, are you looking straight ahead? Is your heart posture, I'm looking forward right now. I'm taking the next step in front of me. I'm doing the next right thing. And I don't mean that just in some moralistic sense, but I'm, I'm doing the next thing that Jesus has called me to do. I'm doing the next thing that he has put before me. I'm seeking to obey. I am seeking to follow. I'm seeking to align my heart with his. I'm putting one foot in front of the other and going where he is taking me. That is the posture needed in following Jesus to look ahead. This also implies for us and shows us that, it, that to follow Jesus is not a one-time decision. There's an ongoing, continual basis, a daily, Jesus said this earlier, that we pick up our cross and daily follow him. The same imagery is given to us with the plow. It's not just, did you grab the plow? It's not just, did you make a decision to follow Jesus or become a Christian or come to church or become a member or get in a community group? It's, it's not just, did you make a one-time decision? It is a daily, what are you doing today? Is your focus straight ahead today? Your past self is not your current self. The decisions you made yesterday don't mean that you're making good decisions today. The passion that you had yesterday doesn't mean that you have passion today. The surrender that you had last week doesn't mean that you have that surrender today. It is a posture of grabbing the plow and looking forward and saying, today, I'm with you. Today, I'm following you. Constant, ongoing. The posture that's needed is sacrifice, urgency, and focus. Finally, what can give us the power to follow Jesus? There's things that we want. There's things we know we should do. There's a lot of pulls against us. What can give us the power? What can give us the power to have that kind of posture? What can give us the power to resist those greater desires? What can give us that power. Three things. First, we have to see who he is. We have to see who Jesus is. If we want the power to resist all the pools and resist the greater desires, even good things, and we want to have a posture of sacrifice and urgency and focus, we have to see who Jesus actually is. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a hike I took my kids on a couple years ago. 
we went to the Royal Arch in Boulder. I don't know if you've been there. It's a great hike. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it's about four miles and a almost 1,500 foot elevation gain. So it's pretty uphill, a lot of steps, pretty steep to get up there. And we went um, when it was in the snow and covered in ice. And um, I think my kids were eight and nine at the time, and they were wearing Converse tennis shoes. And it was awful. It was a failure moment as a father. And the reality is this. I didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know what we were doing. We had gone a ways, and then it was like, we've almost got to be done by now, so let's just keep going. And we should have turned back. We should have turned back in the car, but then we definitely should have turned back as we were going and slipping down. And I mean, you know, there's steps and there wasn't steps. It was just like a sheet of ice, literally. I mean, on the way down, we were sliding down instead of walking down. And both of my kids were freezing and they, uh, one, I don't remember who, but one of them was like, I can't do it. I can't go. I can't. I said, you're going to die on this mountain. You have to go. You don't have a choice. We need to get down. And this was, by the way, just for full disclosure, this was only me. My wife is not there. She would not have allowed this to happen. Um, <clears throat> it was bad. I mean, it was really bad. And I felt really bad. I bought them donuts afterwards. I felt really bad. And I didn't know what I was doing. It was a dangerous journey. It was a hard journey. It was a journey with costs. And I didn't know what I was doing. That's not true of Jesus. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we have to remember that it is the son of man. Which comes from the Old Testament as a title of one that is Lord, one that is seated on high. And Jesus used this title for himself all the time. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. He is God incarnate. And when he calls us to follow him, to sacrifice, to have focus, to have urgency, when he calls us to all of that stuff, He's not surprised at the difficulty. See, when I took my kids on that hike, I was surprised by the difficulty. I was surprised by my stupidity. I was surprised. Jesus is not surprised. The things that Jesus is calling you to do, the areas he's calling you to step out, to have focus, to have urgency, to, to change He's not surprised at what's hard. I don't know what's hard for you right now in the areas where you feel Jesus calling you. I don't know what is hard about it for you. But none of it surprises him. None of it catches him off guard. None of it, he says, ooh, you should have had better shoes for that one. None of it, he feels like he has to bribe you with donuts. None of it, he feels like, oh, I really wish I would have looked at the map better. None of it. Every step that Jesus is calling you to in your life, every single one and the hardest ones where you feel the most pressure, where you feel the most hurt, where you feel the most, I don't know if I can do this. None of it surprises him. None of it catches him off guard. He's the son of man. You have to know part of the power that allows us to follow Jesus, to sacrifice, to have urgency, to have focus, part of what allows us to do that is knowing that he is aware of what's going on in your life, that he knows what he's calling you to, and he's still in control. He's still in control. That's the first thing. We need to know who he is. We also need to know what it is that he gives to us. He says, follow me. But what we can easily miss in that statement is the me. Which means when he says, follow me, you know what he gives? Himself. His presence. He doesn't just say, go do something. He says, come follow me. 
which means you get to be with him. It means you get to be in his presence. It means that the things that he calls us to do, we are not alone in doing them. It means when he invites us to make choices that are hard, that are difficult, that are sacrificial, that have social cost, we're not alone in doing them. It it might be hard to follow Jesus, but we are not alone in doing it. We get to be with him. The call to follow him is a call to be close to him. It's a reminder that we are with him. We get his presence. And listen, we will miss out on some things if we follow Jesus. That's the reality. You will miss out on some things. You cannot just say, I'm going to follow Jesus and have everything the same. That's not following Jesus. You will miss out on some things. There is a cost. But he gives his presence and he gives a greater purpose. He gives us a deeper meaning. Look at what he says. Come spread the news of the kingdom of God and be fit, or fit is translated useful. Be useful for the kingdom of God. He is saying, I'm calling you to give up some things. I'm calling you to realign your priorities. I'm calling you to lay down some things. But guess what? You know what I give? I give a deeper purpose. I invite you to be a part of bringing other people into my kingdom, the true kingdom. And I, and I invite you to be useful, to be someone whose life actually has deep meaning and purpose in my kingdom. You will miss out. You will lose things. It will cost you. But he will give you his presence. And he will give you a deeper purpose, a deep meaning that organizes your life, that enriches our life. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in his book, Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a German pastor during World War II era was eventually martyred for his part in the assassination attempt on Hitler. Here's what he says. He's also the original hipster. And he says this, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. He gives us his presence. He gives us a greater purpose. There is a cost, but not without all of the grace that he gives. And then finally, We need to see for the power who he is, what he gives, and then also what he's done. The context of this whole passage is on the way to Jerusalem. It says, as they were traveling on the road, so they're on the road, but where? We looked at it a couple weeks ago. It says, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. This is where they're going. His days are coming to a close and they are traveling on the road with intentionality to the cross. You see, the final thing that we need to remember is what he's done for us. Every call, every call that he has ever given to us, he has already done for us. Every call that he gives to us, he has embodied himself. He calls us to sacrifice. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He accepted rejection. He accepted the loss of comfort. He, even from a heavenly standpoint, and we even read this in Philippians in in the verse, but he left his home. He left the perfect family. He left his wealth and his riches And even from an earthly standpoint, he left his family. He was willing to abandon friendships and home and vocation for us. 
and he looked straight to the cross, putting his hand to the plow and didn't look back. He looked straight ahead and with urgency moved towards the cross. Why? To save us, to bring us into his family, to forgive us of our sins, and to let us experience a deeper and greater life with him. He was on the road to Jerusalem, his face set towards the cross, knowing what would happen with a posture of urgency, with a posture of focus, with a posture of sacrifice for you and I. You see, the power that we need is in part to be able to see who he is, to see what he gives, but also to see what he's done for us. And when we take communion, that is what we are remembering. We're remembering that he is the one that has gone before us. He is the one that went first before he ever called us. When he says, follow me, he's also saying, this is what I'm doing. This is what I have done for you. So listen, I, I know and I believe that we want to follow Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you're exploring, we want to follow Jesus. We have genuine desire to do that in every area. But the pools in our life are strong. The pools of time, the pools of temptation, the pools of social cost are strong. How can we do it? First, we realize the things that are getting in the way. We realize those competing desires. We bring our heart to him. We remind ourselves of who he is. And then we commit with a sense of urgency and focus and obedience to move forward. So as you're taking communion, and you should have grabbed a little cup on your way in, as you're taking communion during this time, I want you to, to just pray. Remind yourself what he's done for you. Start with that. And then confess. What is, what is the Holy Spirit revealed to you today? Confess that to him. Confess the areas where you have other desires that you're really holding on to. Confess other priorities. Confess where you've said, but first. Confess those things to him and then surrender. Say, my life is in your hands. No but firsts, no later. My life is in your hands. I belong to you. And today, I want to go where you say. I want to do what you say. So I'm going to pray for us, then take some time, take communion, and then we'll respond with a few songs. Also, I will be in the back if anyone would like prayer, if you'd like prayer for healing in your life or just prayer for anything, I would love to, to pray for you. Father, we thank you that we can trust you. The call the call to surrender our life is a scary thing. And so I pray, even as we take communion, that you would remind us that you first surrendered your life to us, Jesus. Let that truth embolden us. Let that truth soften us. Let that truth fill us with trust. We thank you that we can easily put our life in your hands because you are a good, gracious, wise God. Allow these truths to go deeper in our hearts even now. In your name, Jesus. Amen.